Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hi, My Name is Life podcast. This is episode eight, and I am your host, Aaron, and my preferred pronouns are she and her. Oh, boy. Wow. It's been a hot minute since uh, the last episode. Boy, I had to take a break from the podcast. I was kind of struggling with translating the chaos that circles around my brain into a coherent story slash message. And a large part of that is because of my brain injury and having to re-record episodes over and over and over again because of the chaos that my cognitive abilities have um, really started to impact my mental health and was really frustrating me. So I needed to just put it on the shelf, take a little breather, take a break, let my life kind of calm down. But I'm back now. I'm still not really sure how regular episodes will be. I'm just kind of going with the flow and taking it slow. So I'm not going to give any sort of like time periods of like, this is going to be weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever, just playing it by year. And whenever something is worthwhile sharing to all of you, I'll probably record it as a podcast. So kind of get all that house cleaning out of the way. This show, I kind of want to spend, give a little update of what's going on and kind of go from there. Tell, share what's been going on in my life since episode seven. So I guess I would start off with a little bit of a bottom surgery update. Yeah, it's still ongoing and there's still things that uh, we're working on and trying to get fixed. But right now it's, you know, currently it's pretty good for the most part. You know, I'm able to do whatever I want to do without any real problems, but it's still not healing properly in the vaginal canal, which was the main issue before. I won't really dive into it. You can go back to previous episodes where I go into much more detail from it. Um, but yeah, it's still not healing right inside. It's way better than it was before. Still dealing with granulation tissue. That's been the real big problem. And we've tried everything. Nothing seems to be working. Surgery doesn't work. Silver nitrate treatments doesn't really work. Letting it just do its thing just lets it become worse. <laughs> the one thing that we've been able to find that actually clears things up uh, has been doing steroid treatments. That's a steroid cream that I apply inside the vaginal canal, uh, which is not a super easy thing to do um, with how closed up it is. But we actually see a lot of positive progress with it. The only downside is you can only do steroid treatments for X amount of time. It's not supposed to be a long-term thing. So the treatments that I've done in the past or have been doing has been four weeks of the steroid treatment. And, you know, the discharge is practically gone. We put a scope up there because it's not, the opening's not big enough for a speculum. So we put a, a camera up there and see, and wow, it looks, it looks fantastic. I, I mean, but unfortunately, as soon as we stop the steroid cream treatment, everything comes back exactly how it was before. And, you know, the discharge is back, the granulation tissue is back. We put the, uh, 
the camera up there to see what's going on, and it looks exactly how it was from the get-go, uh, which is really unfortunate. So we're kind of in the boat right now that I do the steroid treatment for four weeks, stop it for four weeks, then back on it for four weeks, so I can at least get a month or two of no discharge and not having to wear liners and stuff like that. Um, so I get a little bit of relief, but then I have to stop for four weeks and then everything grows back and goes back, returns to normal, or not normal, goes, turns back to what it was before, which is unfortunate. And we kind of are at the point now that the real, the only real way to address it permanently is to redo the surgery again and having the surgeon go through there and clear it all up and then pretty much redoing it, relining it. So the granulation tissue can't grow there. So that, that sucks. That, that sucks real bad. Um, you know, obviously I've had a consultation with a new surgeon, a surgeon down in Portland with OHSU that my surgeon up here has worked with very closely and actually has, um, spoken to her down in OHSU about my situation quite frequently to get thoughts and recommendations and stuff like that. And I'm really impressed with her and hoping to get on the schedule. I'm still not hundred percent sure if I want to do the surgery again, at the very least redo the labiaplasty. So not hundred percent sure if I want to do uh, the vaginal plasty all over again, especially with what I've been through and everything. Obviously the surgeon in OHSU does a completely different technique with it. It's a, uh, I can't even think of the word, but it's different. It's, you know, obviously OHSU is a teaching hospital. So they're obviously more current on the new ways of doing things and the new technology. Um, but coming out of that consultation, uh, was nothing but positive positivity. Obviously the risk with me doing the vaginal plasty all over again is quite elevated because we don't know the extent of scar tissue that's in there and whether or not, you know, a skin graft's going to stay again. You know, we're dealing with three different, uh, three different tissues in this surgery, uh, with the new method. So it's like the healthy skin that I already have needs to play nice with additional skin graft that is needed. And then that needs to play nice with, a what is, what is it called? Penal, penal, it's pretend, I don't, I don't know. It's uh, the lining from your abdomen or something like that, that they use to line it. So that's another tissue that all of this needs to gel with and work well with. So it's a whole ordeal, but I'm super impressed with OHSU. I'm really impressed with how they do their post-op recovery compared to the Meltzer Clinic who did uh, my botched job originally. So promising. Haven't made a decision yet, but definitely going to get on the calendar nonetheless. It's better to get on the wait list and cancel or then figure out that you want to do it and then get on the wait list later and then you have to wait any longer. And I think the wait list is like our, uh, one year, two years, something like that. If I just wanted to do the labiaplasty, you know, the wait list would probably be like six months or something like that. So that's kind of uh, an update with the bottom surgery stuff. You know, doing the steroid cream treatment is a real pain in the ass because 
the opening, I mean, the opening to the what's left of my canal is a little bit smaller than I would say the diameter of a Q-tip, which I have to use to apply the steroid cream. So it's not the most pleasant thing to stick up there, um, but it's something that gives me some benefits, even if it's short term, not having to deal with discharge for like a month or two months is worth it in my case. So yeah, that's an update with the bottom surgery, just quick and dirty. <laughs> and I'll be sure to keep you all up to date on that progress, but that's pretty much the treatment going forward until I have the surgery over it all over again. So that's that. Uh, what else is going, what else is new? So yeah, um, this year was my first triathlon season since the bottom surgery madness and you know, the two year, two something years that I've been recovering and the eight surgery, eight, nine surgeries that I had to go through since 2020 or 2020 and 2021. Um, so yeah, this season was my first season back and I've had a different approach with this season a little bit. Um, I had a, you know, with everything that's going on in the news and, you know, the recent attacks towards the trans community and banning trans kids and specifically trans women from sports. And I felt like I needed to do something to fight back the best way that I could. And that is to be visible and to protest where I can protest and talk to people where in these places to try to change their minds, you know, contacting politicians and stuff to kind of help give them, you know, give them feedback and, you know, actual perspective of what they're doing is wrong and what they're doing is bad. So I kind of dedicated this season to that of trying to spread the message, trying to be visible to the trans community, try to encourage, you know, open up triathlon to the trans community as best as I can. So I tried to race, I tried to do races in states and areas that are anti-trans and that are, or that have implemented anti-trans legislation, banning trans kids from sports and all of that. I wish that I could go to more places than I've been able to, but obviously, you know, I'm on a limited income and don't really have the cash to like go to Texas, go to Arizona, go to Montana, go to South Dakota, and then, you know, Florida and, and stuff like that. I just, I just can't afford that much travel, especially one of the target races that I had this year was Ironman Coeur d'Alene 70.3. You know, just that alone was really expensive. And I was really planning this season for Ironman Coeur d'Alene and then doing a ha uh, the Sioux Falls half marathon. Unfortunately, I couldn't do South Dakota from uh, when I was looking at airfare to get there. You know, just flying to Sioux Falls was like over $1,500 round trip, and I just couldn't afford it. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. But I did at least two races in Idaho, which Idaho is the state that pretty much started all of this in motion. You know, people, a lot of people would say Texas. Um, obviously, Texas is probably the worst anti-trans legislation to date, but Idaho was the one that started it all. 
So Iron Man Coeur d'Alene was the big target for this season. And then I also did a regular local uh, Olympic distance triathlon in Coeur d'Alene. Also various unfriendly to trans cities and towns in Washington state, you know, even though Washington state is a very liberal and very trans friendly, there are very large groups of individuals and very loud individuals in government as well that are trying to push anti-trans agendas as well. Their supporters are growing in numbers, especially in these outlying areas outside of Seattle proper. So I, I tried to do what I could within my means and budget. I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have gone to more states, but I'm definitely spreading them out. You know, I can't do them all in one season, but I can definitely do, you know, at least one big trip a year, I think. Hopefully. I don't know. It's really hard. Things are really expensive now. So, you know, I did Idaho this year. I'm planning on doing, I'm hoping to do Ironman Texas 70.3 in April. And that's going to be big because Texas really doesn't like us. So I really want to do that. So just trying to be more visible where I can and where it's feasible and trying to promote trans athletes and hoping that, you know, going to these races and having my trans flag out, you know, maybe there's a, a trans kid there that really wants to get into sports, but is afraid because they're not allowed or anything of that nature. And I'm just hoping that if they see me as a trans woman with the flag out racing and crossing that finish line, that that might give them the drive to keep pushing it, even though in these states they might not be able to do it in school. But hopefully seeing me and other trans women that are racing, not like there's a lot of them. Usually I'm the only one that races, but you never know. You know, take notice to this and don't lose hope and, you know, keep being active, keep training with hopes to doing races that aren't collegiate and, you know, going and do local triathlons or local road races and swims and stuff like that, where they are allowed to do it. That's my hopes. Those are, those are my goals, uh, going forward. And I'm just, I'm trying to do my best, you know, obviously I don't have a large audience or social following, but I do have a good fair amount of people that do follow me and I'm hoping to keep doing what I'm doing, but kind of dig into that a little bit more. When I did Ironman Coeur d'Alene, I really wish that race was really wish the results of that race was a little bit different. You know, um, it was at the beginning of June. I'm really not used to having races that early on and our summer here in the Pacific Northwest was very slow to start. It was a very cold start of the summer. And, you know, when I started the race in Coeur d'Alene and Ironman, that lake was, I would say, barely in the upper 50s. And unfortunately, I got pulled out of the water for um, hypothermia. Uh, so it was a DNF. I was really crushed because I was really looking forward to crossing that finish line with my trans flag out. It was really difficult, but I was still there. I still was at the, at the starting line. I represented my community throughout the athlete village and throughout town, um, wearing my protect trans kids t-shirt. 
And that's what drove me to do an Olympic distance local triathlon race in Coeur d'Alene in August or July. Was it July or August? Some later where the lake was dramatically warmer <laughs> uh, and did that cross the finish, finish line with my flag out and being very visible and very vocal and protesting what Idaho is doing to our community. But looking back at those two races, and I really, I would, I really actually really want to share this story. Looking at the two races versus Ironman Coeur d'Alene and then local triathlon race, you really start to see the kind of the power and influence Ironman has in the cities and towns that they're doing the race in. Because the experiences between the two were drastic contrast to one another. Ironman, you know, that influence of so many different people coming into town um, and Coeur d'Alene, specifically Coeur d'Alene, is very anti out of towners um <laughs> like very much so they tend to get violent with out of towners but this like mass influx of athletes and their families and support people coming into this town really drives out the locals so you're kind of communicating your message to a different not the typical person that would be in Coeur d'Alene that still doesn't mean that I didn't deal with stupid nonsense at, you know, the athlete village and stuff like that. But I was definitely seeing a lot more positivity towards it and a lot more positive remarks and comments to when I was wearing my Protect Trans Kids t-shirts around town compared to doing the local race, which is you don't got you don't have that Ironman influence and that mass influx of people all over the world coming in. It's a local race, so it's dominated by people in Idaho and people in Coeur d'Alene. And boy, that experience was dramatically different in not a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> the view the, the the looks on people's faces when I took the flag out on the run, man, it's hard to describe the the stares that I got from spectators and stuff like that. It was very unwelcoming, very aggressive. Hopefully that kind of paints the picture of just like the people that I was just running past. Yeah, there, you know, that race was dominated by a very religious, <laughs> religious people. And they wore their, you know, they wore that, <laughs> they wore their religion and their feelings on their sleeve and, more so, you know, a big group of people <laughs> were very vocal about uh, anti-liberals on T-shirts. I mean, yeah, it was just, it was a completely different experience and kind of a scary one after the race. You know, it was relative, I felt relatively fine at the finish line and the award ceremonies and stuff like that. People, you know, you can hear mumblings and stuff like that, you know, when they're looking at the flag and definitely see those faces. But, you know, obviously it's a mass group. Nobody really wants to deal with, you know, nobody wants to act out in that way. Once you leave that downtown, that city park, things really shifted in not a positive way. Uh, encountered a group that was quite aggressive towards me. You know, I was carrying my flag. They didn't really have the balls to say anything when I walked by them. 
they wanted to start yelling their obscenities and discrimination bullshit uh, when I was a fair distance away from them. And that was kind of worried. You know, I was kind of nervous walking around town with my flag after that, but I definitely didn't let it phase me. I still did what I needed to do, you know, and with the flag out, you know, I definitely felt like a feeling that you, you know, that feeling that you can get when people don't want you there. And I definitely was feeling that a lot. You know, it just puts things in perspective of what the power of Iron Man can do to a city that they're in and not necessarily a positive way. You know, obviously that power and influence that Iron Man brings can hide the negative shit that goes on in these states. Like discrimination that these politicians are putting on the groups of people. Iron Man just kind of sweeps all of that stuff under the rug and hides it from people and hides it from these out-of-towners because it's the spectac- it's the spectacle of Iron Man. And it was just weird. And after reflecting on the two different experiences, you know, I was just like, I don't know if that's a good thing with Iron Man. Like Iron Man can do so much more than it's doing, which is absolutely nothing. You know, the minimum, bare minimum that they can do is like put up signage of, you know, races one, you know, send a message of unity and inclusion. It's just like these easy things that they can do in these areas to promote, you know, positivity and an umbrella of, you know, everyone is welcome to race here. All they have to do is just put up a fucking banner that says we race as one or something like that. You know, it's really not that complicated. They're not stepping on anybody's toes. They are literally just saying, hey, we are an inclusive sport, even though they're not an inclusive sport. But, you know, (laughs) they can at least fake it a little bit better than doing absolutely nothing. And I really wish they would. I really wish they would do something like that. But, you know, it's Iron Man. They don't fucking care. (laughs) All they want is your money. But it's just... Experiencing those two very different things in one city really puts things in perspective. So I definitely thought that that was very interesting. And I felt like if I did not DNF and I crossed that finish line with my pride flag, I feel like my presence at the local triathlon in Coeur d'Alene was far more impactful than Iron Man would have been. And we're talking about way less amount of people, but the people that were there for the local race, those are the locals. Those are the people that are voting. So I'm very glad that I went back to Coeur d'Alene for that local race and said what I needed to say and show what I needed to show. I'm just glad that I did that because it was way more impactful and way more important than doing it at Ironman. And that's something I'm probably going to think about more when I want to go to different states, anti-trans states, of maybe not doing an Ironman and just doing a local race instead. Obviously, the benefits of doing an Ironman is you have 
that spectacle there and your message goes to a much wider audience and much larger audience of people. The spotlight is just grander at Ironman, but the message being delivered at just a local race is more impactful. So you have the spectacle display and then you go do the impactful display. So I really, really got to think, you know, I'm really starting to think that of doing more local races instead of an Ironman in these states, obviously. I got to pick and choose my states. If I'm doing local races in these anti-trans states, obviously I have to be very careful with which states I'm going to do it in. Like if I went to Texas to do a local race, I probably would not be, I would probably not feel very safe, which is the reason why I'm thinking about doing Ironman Texas, just because I have that protection Texas is kind of scary right now for trans people. So I'm pro- that's probably, you know, these in states that are very aggressive towards us, uh, I would probably pick for the spectacle showing rather than the impactful local one, just from a safety perspective. Um, so I, you know, that's in the back of my mind too, when I'm making the decision of what state that I want to go be visible at. You know, because I want to be safe. I don't want to get attacked. So always have to keep that in mind as well. But that has been my 2022 season goal. And so far, I think I'm definitely making some sort of impact. At least I hope I am. I think just being there and showing the colors is enough and impactful enough. And, you know, hopefully I... I change people's minds. I, I hope there's one person there that's been like, oh my God, look what this person's doing. It's, you know, that's really all I can think of. And that's the goal. That's been the goal. That's going to be the, the goal continuing forward uh, with triathlon or any type of race, you know, be that uh, marathons, half, mar- half marathons or anything like that. So doing what I can do with what I have available and hopefully it sparks change in somebody's mind. As long as one person comes out it thinking differently, I call that a win. And I think at least one person at all of the races that I've done this season, uh, I've changed somebody's mind. I certainly hope so. Kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up as uh, the continuation of my effort to promoting not necessarily triathlon, but you know, swim, bike, and run to the trans community. I I created uh, a meetup group on the website meetup.com called Swim Bike Run uh, Trans and LGBTQ Plus uh, group. That is specifically, I'm hoping to break down those barriers of triathlon or just swimming or just running or just cycling uh, to the trans community. And so far, you know, it's growing pretty good for just, just being out for about a week. Uh, did the first group ride and it was pretty cool. So trying to open up the community to it a little bit more because I know when I started transitioning um, and when I talked to other trans women, you know, that have shared with me that they used to be really active and a lot of cyclists, you know, riding bikes every day when they started, uh, started to transition they kind of stopped doing that. You know, they stopped going to the gym because they were afraid of the locker room and all of, you know, and being, you know, a trans woman there, you know, that fear is there. So 
I'm hoping doing these community events and will create a safe space for uh, the trans community to be active again, building that confidence. If you're interested in joining the group, there's a link to the group in the show notes below. But yeah, that's kind of been the update of what's going on in my life. Those were the big highlights that I kind of wanted to touch on. So that's about it. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, I truly appreciate the continued love and support uh, for myself and this podcast and everything that I share online. (laughs) Of course, the best way to help support the show is to subscribe, maybe leave a review. I always love the feedback and, you know, to share out to your friends and family. So thank you again. And until the next time, remember, anything is possible. Bye.